0: Welcome to the Pacific Point Church podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plans, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message.
1: Gosh, I thought everybody would be barbecuing or something else today. You wouldn't be here, but it's so good to have everybody here. We love uh, our church here. We're in a series called Jesus in a Bottle. This is my bottle. Of course, my wife would not let me have a regular bottle. She has a fancy bottle. But the premise, if you haven't been with us, is this. That in the church, so many times, the way that we look at God is in this form. That he is our Jesus in a bottle. And that when we need something, we just rub the bottle and all of a sudden, poof. Jesus comes out and he solves all of our problems. We have deified, we have, we have made this, this Jesus into this image that looks more like us than it does Jesus. So we are preaching through this series about Jesus in the Bible and what that looks like. And last week... We talked about suffering, one of the great questions of the Christian faith is what does God do or how does he handle suffering and why do I have to suffer? And we kind of tackled that last week, but there's so much more attached to it that I wanted to come back around and and, and tackle uh, the second part of it this week, which is really Jesus involved and then suffering, sovereignty and the will of God. How is the will of God tied into this thing called suffering? What does that look like? So will you pray with me right now as we get going? This is an important subject. There are so many people that you and I know that are suffering right now. And the hope that we have of Jesus, I, I, I hope we can build something for you today to see. Lord, help us. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see in this so important subject. God, that you would give me the words, move me aside in that Holy Spirit, that you would speak here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. What we said last week is this, is that we have a church in America that's about an inch deep and a mile wide. We said we know a lot about a lot of subjects, or we know very little about a lot of subjects. You know, we can can talk about things, but there's no depth in our relationship with God. There's no depth in our understanding as a church. And that's the church as a whole. The statistic that we see that I give you regularly is this. That Blackaby and Barna both say that 4% of Christians truly live a biblical worldview. 4%, which would bode well with what I'm saying here. Says this in this great book, Knowledge of the Holies. Of the holy. He says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Hold on for a second, just kind of chew on it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? He goes on, he says this. Man's or women's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. In other words, you can go no further than what you think of God. So when we talk about a church that is an inch deep, what we get is a bunch of Christians that have no theological sound doctrine to stand on. Therefore, they're tossed to and fro. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? None of you are that. Of course, everybody in here is on solid ground. This Jesus in a bottle of theology that we're talking about is this. When we just make up our own minds concerning what he is like, then we are just creating an idol in our heads. We we, we have these thoughts of God that aren't true. We're making up our own Jesus. Depeche if you guys know that song? Yeah. You know, We just The band that was up here, they're all like, like 20 years old. And we asked them if they knew a band that was from that era. And they, it was, uh, who was it? We're a Cheap Trick. They didn't know. Does did anybody know who Cheap Trick is? Of course you know who Cheap Trick is. Our band did not know who Cheap Trick was. They're, they're young. They're 20 years old. So the Mode in that same era said this, this, they had this song. They said, my own personal Jesus, which is what we see today is this church. That all these people, all of us, have our own personal Jesus. And we make up in our mind who Jesus is. And it's this false Jesus. It's this Jesus involved that answers my questions. That when I demand, he has to answer what I'm asking. It's this Jesus that should solve all my problems because the reality is the world revolves around me. And this Jesus that I've made up in my mind is, is an idol. In actuality, the Jesus that we made up in our mind is you. You are your own Jesus. And this is the theology of Jesus in So let's look at it from this point. As we talk about suffering, what's God's will for my life? The big question that everybody has, time and time again, the first thing that I get when I talk to people, is what's God's will for my life? What does it look like? What does God have for me? What's God's will for my life? God's revealed or perspe- uh, perceptive will is not hidden from us. You would think that, that that it was hidden because very few of us know what it means to walk in the will of God. But not, uh, Micah 6.8 says this. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. What's God's will in my life? To act justly. To love mercifully. To walk with humility in God. What's God's will in my life? It's these things. To speak truth and love. Ephesians 4. To repent. To actually have a life of repentance. Where we ask forgiveness for our sins. It's to keep the Ten Commandments. To walk in the Ten Commandments that God gives us. And to be a sober mind. Ephesians 5 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be of sober mind. These are God's will for our life. on a bigger and more personal scale, what's God's will? What's God's will? Psalm 139 says this, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in a book before one of them came to be. You know what that says? That you matter. You know what that says? It says that I have purpose for you in your life. It says that you are not randomness, that you're not just flowing in the wind and whatever happens. It says this, that God in his infinite wisdom picked you and on February 19th, 1966 he said John Blue will be born and I have purpose and I have reason for him. That each one of us that sits here has a purpose in life. And it's not randomness. And, and then God gives us these boundaries. And He says to, to, to think wisely. He says to walk in my commandments. He says to listen to what I have for you. And when we do that and walk in the fullness of who God has called us to be. Things seem to go a little better. Right? Right. They don't always go the way that you think they should go. Rub the bottle, rub the bottle. God, give it the way I think it should be. But there's peace and hope that come with it. What's God's will for my life? That you walk in his righteousness. And as you start to discover who you are, you walk in the fullness of it. The message, the next time, the next message of cheese in the bottles is going be around that. Um, God's will for my life. I want to talk about God's will in a more specific, theological, foundational way, because I think it's so important, it's this, God's permissive will, the permissive will of God, and we'll look at Samson's life, the sovereign will of God, looking at Job's life, his sovereignty and brokenness. We'll look at John 9 and the blind man in that story. So this, you hear these terms like God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. You hear these terms like God's will. What does that really mean? What does that really look like? Let me give you some examples of what that looks like. The permissive will of God, we're going to talk about Samson, The J.I. Package says this, now listen, this is really interesting, the permissive will of God is that, that will which God does not decree to occur, nor is it His will, since it is not in accordance with His law. Listen to this, God's permissive will is His will to permit sin to occur. You ever wonder why sin, why God allows sin? Why does He just shut it down? Free will. Free will. It, God is permissive in will, and he allows sin to go. God allows man to rebel against him, and in this, God permits people to do such things as lie, steal, cheat, and a lot of things you guys do. Come on, seriously. Oh, yeah, you guys are so self-righteous. I uh, don't okay, things that be impressed, okay? And this place, too, I know. Uh, it is God. The permissive will of God allows you to step into those sins, Without him stopping it. This is interesting. I want to look at the life of Samson. Because here's what happens with permissive sin. Or permissive will of God. We give God too much credit. We give God way too much credit. Let me show you what I mean. Judges 16, 23 through 25 says this. and This is Samson at the end of his life. It says, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. This is the end of Samson's life. Everything that he had gone through, this is where it culminates. It's this place that you and I walk in many times where everything seems to have gone wrong, where everything seems to have spiraled out of control, where everything seems like you and you sit in this place and you go, hey God, what is going on? Hey God, why is my life falling apart? Hey God, what is the deal here? It's this place that we give God too much credit. Give an example. I was sitting with a, a really good friend of mine and we we're having lunch. This is a couple of years ago. And he says, uh, I'm mad at God. I'm just mad at God. Has anybody ever said those words? I'm mad at God. I'm like, dude, what's yeah. up? Why are you mad at God? He's like, my marriage is terrible. My marriage sucks. It is terrible. I don't like her. She doesn't like me. I'm mad at God. And I said, okay, well, hold on. Let's slow down here. I said, you're a man of God. Your marriage is terrible. I get it. Let's talk about your marriage. how'd you meet your wife? He said, oh, well, she was working at this, this store, and, and I started talking to her, and I said, hey, did you asked her on a date? Yeah, I asked her on a date, and I said, okay, that's, that's a good start. I said, well, um, why did you marry your wife? He said, well, you know, I went out with her, and I slept with her, and she got pregnant, and, and I, I thought it was the right thing to do to marry her. I said, okay, that sounds like the right thing to do, and then I married her. I said, okay, let me think about this. You met her in a store, right? You went on a date. Now a little while, you slept with her, to which she got pregnant, you had a baby, and you felt like because she got pregnant, that's good, that you needed to marry her, and she needed to be your wife, and this would be a family, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's it happened, I said, so tell me where you're mad at God, tell me the part where God messed you over. Tell me the part where you decided to sleep with a girl that, that bound your heart to her and got you in such a position that you felt like you had to marry her. that's good. And then now you're in this relationship that, with this woman that, that probably wasn't God's will. I don't know, it's God's will now. And you're mad at God because you have a baby and she's mean as a snake. It sounds like to me that, that there was sin in your life. He allowed it to play out, and this is the end game. Look, I, I personally, I, I, in, the, in the last couple of years, or years from, I've been mad, and it's like, man, God, I lost my house, and and, and, and lost our church, and, and or handed it off, or whatever, however you want to make it smell well, um, you know, all those things. <laughs> you know, oh, all pastors are. Um, but and, and, all these things, and I'm like, I'm, God, what is going on? It was very clearly the Holy Spirit says, buy the house? Or did you get really anxious and buy something that you didn't need? Yeah. Oh, gosh! Come <laughs> a little guy. Did you, did you need to merge church and do some of the things you did, or did, did you just, you know, I, uh, so why are you mad at me? See, and here's where we give God too much credit for our own screw-ups. Sin. We get mad at God. All these things that are happening. All we need to do is step back and go, Gosh, I shouldn't have made that decision. Gosh, I really shouldn't have done that. The permissive will of God in Samson you see Samson and, 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 and you see it in his, his life and it says, you know, that Psalm 30, 139 scripture that says that God knew us and had Samson's plan set before him and it says in Judges 13, it says, look, no razor when talking about him being born, it says no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to send Israel from the hands of the Philistine. See, here's the deal. The permissible of God is this, that God had a plan for him, Psalm 139, that God has a plan for each one of us, each step laid out before us. And when we turn to the left or we turn to the right, that plan kind of goes sideways. But the will of God for Samson was this that he would save the Nazarene, that he would save Israel. And he stepped to the left and everything went sideways. Or did it? See, Samson's Free will was this, it says this, and Samson went to Gaza and there he saw prostitutes. And her. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the Lord of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means you may overpower him, but we may bind him up and humble him. See, because that's what sin does. It binds you up and humbles you. And you sit in these places, bound up and humble, blaming God, rubbing the Bible, saying, or the the bottle, saying, God, how can you do this to me? God, why did you do this to me? Yet we walk right into these sins so many times. And this is the will of God, and the consequences of Samson's sins are this. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him to Gaza, binding him in bronze shackles. And they set him to girding grain in prison, to grinding grain in prison. Samson was not the man that God meant him to be at that point. But here's the thing. I love about God is hope. Here's what I love about my God it's hope. Hope in God's permissive will. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. See, in this point in his life, it looks like Samson has ruined everything. There's a point in our lives many times where we go through these stressful, difficult situations. And we think that our sin has ruined everything. Or maybe we're not even conscious enough to understand what is going on. And we're wondering what is going on. But we see here, Samson, he repents. He humbles his heart. Then Samson, prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more does God do? He works all things together for the good of those who fear him. And it says in Judges 16 that he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon the people who were in it. So the dead who he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. That he delivered Israel What did we say that his purpose in life was? What did God say that his purpose in life was? To deliver Israel, to bring Israel out, and in his death, even though he made foolish choices, It's not unlike some of the foolish choices that you and I make all the time. Even though he made those foolish choices, God brought him full circle to fulfill what God had for him. So it's never too late. It is never too late. You may have made made foolish choices. You may be walking in foolish choices. You may have walked outside of what God's will is. But God can work all things together for the good of those. It's not hopeless. That's why I love our God. It's never hopeless. Battery, I think. Joe, can you do that next one? There you go. Looking at Job. In other words, the sovereignty is, is that God's will passes through his hands. Nothing goes without him knowing. Each time, in talking about the, the, the story of Job, and we know the story where the, the enemy came and, and asked for Job and God allowed him to do what he did in his life. Each time the devil took from Job. God had the power to intervene. He could, at any moment, He could intervene. But He permitted the evil, and in that limited sense, His sovereignly willed it to happen. That's a lot to think about. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's joke. Each time the devil took something, or takes something from one of us, God has the power to intervene. At any point, you can go, no, no, no. But he permits evil in this world. He doesn't do evil. He doesn't want evil. He permits, allows evil. In a limited sense, he is sovereignly willing it to happen. What does that mean? He can stop at any time, but he allows it to happen, and he is sovereign over all of it. Seth, am I making sense here? Yeah. Let 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 me show you a picture just in case that doesn't make sense. Job. Sovereign, sovereignty, and the will of God in Job's life. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred female donkeys and very many servants so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east Job had it going on he was legit he was loaded like many of you (laughs) blessed beyond what you can comprehend I mean this was the man and God's sovereignty was ruling and reigning in his life as well as mine and yours look what happens sorry Huh? At first, Job dealt... Ah, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry to little <Lord> God Job. <laughs> Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan is going to God to ask for Job. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has... Bless the work of his hands, so that his flock and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan very well, that everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. The sovereign will of God that's going forth in his life is this, that God allows evil things to go forth. I don't know how many of these conversations have happened in the history of mankind. How many times has the devil come and had this conversation with God for your life, and my life, for others' lives? I don't, I don't know. We see a precedent here. But what we do know in the sovereignty of God is this, that he allows evil to go forth. That evil goes forth. And in this man's life, Joe, evil is going forth. The enemy is coming and taking everything from him. He's taking him from the top to the bottom. From riches and all the power that you could want to this man that is humble. The Bible literally says he's scraping his sores with the clay pots. It says that he's in this desperate place. Not unlike many of us or people who have been, who have had it all, and now it's all gone. And you wonder, why would God do this to me? Why would this be happening? What is going on? Soon, Joe. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm going to let you go, Joe. Hit the next slide. At first, Job dealt with the pain and loss, with amazing submission. and says this, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we receive good from the, at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? Next slide, Job. But then soon, like many of us, in many of our trials and our suffering, Job wavers in his confidence that God was for him. See, it's, it's this Jesus in a bottle theology that starts to come forth. And Job reason things about God that were not true. He began to insist on his own righteousness at the expense of God's justice. In other words, he started to say, God, I'm a righteous man. Why are you torturing me? God, my righteousness is what makes me. And he's rubbing the bottle and saying, Why does this happen to me? Not unlike many of us who go, I go to church every Saturday or Sunday. I give tithes. I go and I help people when they need help. I do all the things, I pray, I read my Bible, all these things that I do, so why do bad things happen to me, God? And we rub the bottle It's bad theology. It's bad theology. It goes on and says this, how many wrongs and sins have I committed? This is Job saying to God, show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? He's speaking to God. He's mad at God. Now, let me say something here. Anger is, is, is an emotion that God gave us. We can be mad at God for maybe no time. Being angry at God ultimately is sin misunderstanding of who God is. You can wrestle with God, you see that? You can struggle with what's going on in your life and say, I don't understand it." But to sit in this place of judging, oh God, what are you doing in my life? I'm mad at you. It's a terrible understanding of who God is and who you are. To which Job finds out. God speaks to Job in his sovereignty in verse 38. Or chapter 38 of Job. He says this, And the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I love that line. We've preached on that before. Brace yourself like a man. You think you're a man? Brace yourself, because here it comes. This is God speaking to Job. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Have you ever thought about that when you're going in the middle of whatever you might be going through in life? Were you there when God set the foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off his dimensions. Surely you know! Stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the seas behind the doors? When it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. In other words, who are you, O man? Where were you when I created this world? Yet you have an understanding of your own suffering have an understanding that says this and God you are causing this in my life you have this understanding that's limited that you can be mad at God when you see but a minute piece of eternity and God just kind of puts Job in his place right? he says who are you man? who are you Job why did God allow Job to suffer sometimes this can be tough to deal with. Submission and worship. Why did he allow him to suffer? Why does God allow us to suffer many times in places that we don't understand? Because it's a position of submission, and there's a position of worship that happens in the midst of it when we don't get angry at God. It says if in the Lord said to Satan, have you not considered my servant Job? I mean, God is on Job's side. God is for you, he's not against you. He said, consider my servant Job. There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He says, give him a shot and see what might happen. You You might not want to pray that prayer. You don't want to go down that road. But out of this this, this craziness that Job goes through and God says of him that he is this great man, what we find is Job comes to this greater place of submission unto God and this greater place of worship unto God. And I know it to be true because I've seen it in my own life. And out of the pain of my own life, out of the the chaos that I've brought into my own life, out of the stuff that comes in my own life, what I know is this, that God has brought me to a place of submission that I've never been before. He's brought me to a place of worship and understanding that I've never seen before. And out of that comes hope. And as desperate as it might seem, as hard as it might be, as dark as it is in that hour, what I know is that I know that I know this, that God brings hope and the hope is in Christ Jesus. Oh. He brings us to a place of, oh God, I'm yours. I got nothing else literally sit in a, in a council and talk to people and I just say, Jesus, that's what I've got. I've got nothing else and Him crucified. It's the hope of glory that comes to Christ Jesus. And I submit myself to that truth. And then when you submit yourself to that truth, what naturally happens is this place of worship, of thankfulness that comes forth, and you, you, you change. You can't help but be changed by the truth and the power of God's Word and who He is. That's what happened to Job all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. What happens with Job in 42? After Job had prayed for his friends, if you remember the story, his friends cursed, said curse God. His wife said curse God. They said this is a mess. And after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. After he had walked through, after he had humbled himself, a magnificent work. I can't tell you that he's going to restore everything twice as good as it was before. But what I can tell you is this. There's peace and there's hope. Yeah. Last one. God's sovereignty and brokenness. God's sovereign in the brokenness of life and men and women. The blind man in John 9. And here's, here's what that means. The sovereignty and brokenness. At any time, God has the power to intervene and heal this blind man in the story. Let me rephrase this. At any time, God has the power to intervene and heal you of whatever disease or sickness you might have. But he permitted brokenness. And in that limited sense, again, statements and not think, if you're not a thinker, if you don't wrestle with it, you can get really twisted up here and go, oh God, no, 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 you don't understand. God in his infinite wisdom, sovereignly allows the brokenness of this world Jesus. He saw blind men the birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That's bad that, that theology back then. That's Jesus in a bottle of theology back some 2,000 years ago. Uh, who sinned? Who did the wrong thing? Jesus. And he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said to what we said last week. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, the world went from perfect state to an imperfect state. From not being broken to being broken. That brokenness includes addiction. That brokenness includes homosexuality. That brokenness includes uh, a death. That brokenness includes disease. That brokenness includes any, any one of those things. It's an imperfect state. When man fell, and here's this blind man, blind from birth, blind from birth, why did God allow this man to suffer? It says really clearly in John 9, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in all. What does that even mean? It means this, that in your hurt, in your pain, in your suffering, God wants to use it. He works all things together for the good of those who fear Him, who love Him. He wants to take what you are walking through, what I am walking through, the difficulties that we walk through, and He wants to take them, and He wants to use them to bring hope to the hopeless. Because those who know Jesus in this way this intimate way in the midst of their suffering have the ability to sit in peace. It doesn't mean that we don't weep. It doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain. It doesn't mean that there aren't hard days and good days. What it means is this we have hope. Yeah, we have hope. It's not hopeless because Jesus is our hope. Why do God allow me? And then suffered. The man said, "Lord, I believe," and he worshipped him. Jesus says, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. He's talking about a spiritual transformation here. The sight that he can see people with isn't what he's talking about, although that's great. He's talking about a blindness, a spiritual blindness, where you don't see what's going on in the spirit, where you don't see Jesus and his saving grace, where you're so hardened that you don't know who he is. That I come so that the blind will see. Hope and the sovereignty of brokenness. It's this one thing I know, this blind man says, the one thing that I know is that I was blind and now I see. I was blind, but now I see. He's not talking about his natural eyes. He's talking about that he sees Jesus. That he sees the Savior he knows who he is. That changed his life. God's will in my life. The permissive will of God. Is this. When I sin. There are consequences. And God allows them in my life. It's a permissive will. That God allows me. In free will. To make stupid decisions. The beauty. Is that he can redeem them. The sovereignty of the will of God. Job is shown to be magnificent. In Job's life, when the enemy comes and takes, what we see is this. God's sovereign will is that God is glorified. That God is glorified. In sovereignty and brokenness, the blind man... And rub the bottle. Oh Jesus, I want this new car, and it's got to look just like this. Oh Jesus, I want my wife, or Jesus, I want my husband to do this, this, or this. And we rub the bottle harder. Oh Jesus, give me this job. Oh Jesus, heal me. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, we completely missed it, and it's a bad theology as opposed to Oh God, have mercy. And knowing that this is true, that God works all things yes. good, it's not going to look like you think it's going to look. But if God is God and I'm not, it's going to look the way it should look. His will. See, the sovereignty of God is in His will. It's to restore everything. The heart of God from Genesis to Revelation is restoration, to restore, to restore you unto God, to restore your body unto what it's supposed to be, to restore your mind unto what God wanted to be, to restore a family, a father unto a son, a, a family unto one another. It's the restoration of this place. Because ultimately, and I was talking with Austin, and he said this, and I thought it was a great quote, the king gets what the king wants. He's sovereign. Revelation 21, and I'll finish with this. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of the heaven of God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death
0: Listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at PacificPointchurch.com slash give. At that same site you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you are encouraged today.